Hello, everybody. Before we start today's episode, I am going to tell you a little bit about the newest sponsor of the Simply Finance with Shane White podcast. It's called Routine. Um, we actually had one of the co-founders on the podcast, uh, Jake Rhodes, um, back early on one of my founder series episodes. And one of their products really caught my attention early on called Morning Routine. And uh, we decided to work together. So I'm excited to have them as part of the podcast. Um, we've been talking about them over the last couple months. And you know what? I want to remind all of you today just why I love their products so much and wanted to share it with you. Uh, so just so you know, when we sleep, we lose between a pound and a pound and a, and a half of water, expelling vapors, sweat, etc. Um, morning routine comes in these single serve packets. I kind of think, uh, you know, any of those packets that you pour into a container of water or whatever drink you use. Um, each of those packets comes with half an organic lemon, one tablespoon ACV or uh, apple cider vinegar. Himalayan sea salt and all six essential electrolyte electrolytes, excuse me. But most importantly, no sugar. Yes, no sugar in their products at all. Uh, like I said, it comes in one tear apart pack. Uh, you mix that with about 20 ounces of water. Um, and you know, obviously water's good for you anyway, so get you extra hydrated. And really the whole concept behind routine um, was Jake and his wife wanted products that you could trust made convenient, uh, products that they felt comfortable giving to their kids. Um, and that is exactly why they came up with routine. Just to give you guys a little bit more of a background into routine. Um, you know, I love their product from the start. Um, and so did my wife, we actually, you know, had them early on and we're big fans of what routine, um, was, but it's funny, it's one of those things, um, and I talk about it on here a lot, is consistency. The more we had routine in the morning, um, when we ran out, I remember the first time we ran out, we both were like, I feel different today. Like, I just don't feel as hydrated. It's very, I don't know, it's a, it's a strange thing. Um, but I would love for all of you to try it. One of the things I promise with my podcast, with my platform, is that I'm never going to promote products that I don't love or use myself. So if you want to give morning routine or any of their other products a shot you can go over to your routine.com um, and at checkout use code shane white 30 again that's shane white 30 at checkout you'll get 30 percent off your first order uh, and you can check it out which is exciting um, i hope you guys do and i hope you guys love routine all right everybody the episode is up right after the intro which is right now All right, everybody. Well, welcome to another episode of Simply Finance with Shane White. I am stoked today to have Brian Tate from Oats Overnight on the podcast. Brian, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Shane. I appreciate taking the time, man. Um, first, before we jump into Oats Overnight, I, uh, you know, obviously, I always do a little research on my guests, and I was, I thought it was pretty cool. 
I don't know how many people know this, but your background in poker, first of all, I had to hit that hit on that and just ask you a little bit about that. So would you mind just giving everyone a little bit of a, of a uh, intro to you and the brand? And then uh, I probably have some poker questions to start it off with. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I did play poker professionally for 12 years. Uh, started out playing in high school online and ended up playing in high stakes cash games in Vegas and Los Angeles, where I lived uh, for the last like six, seven years of my career. Um, it was around that time toward the end that I that I found Overnight Oats is a really helpful supplement, apparently, you know, supplement or, or breakfast, I guess, uh, to complement my fitness and nutrition. Um, and yeah, launched a product in 2016, uh, direct consumer. Awesome. That's badass. So you you were just playing like online poker like any of those free platforms and then you start how do you start playing for money and and how did like explain that process a little bit yeah so i was a super nerd in in school i played magic the gathering cards if you're familiar with those yeah i know uh, competitively so yeah so i was on the pro tour at at age like 14 15 we travel grew up in michigan so i'd be traveling to like new orleans or san diego for tournaments and our family would just turn that into the family vacation that year uh when we were lucky enough to have one and um yeah, that, that world of, of, I guess, game theory and, and problem solving and competitiveness over, over a period um, and, you know, planning for those tournaments uh, translated really well into poker during the poker boom in 2003, 2004, when you started seeing it on ESPN and, you know, Chris Moneymaker won the World Series around that time and it got super popular oh, mainstream. Yeah. yeah, online just blew up. My my uh, my AOL handle back in the day was Moneymaker23 on a- AOL. <laughs> so definitely know what you're talking about. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So, so yeah, so it started out, you know, of course, uh, at the time, you know, I was living um, with my parents and didn't, you know, we didn't necessarily have any money. Um, and uh, yeah, was playing online for small stakes, you know, penny games on okay. party poker and um, started party out there. Poker, and that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, of course, I had a, maybe a $600 life savings from Magic from just, you know, little tournaments here and there and trading $4 cards for $5 cards at the tournaments and trying, <laughs> trying to awesome. build your way Hustling. up. And yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, it was great. And so you started playing online and I'm obviously you were successful, I'm assuming. So you were successful in small stakes and then like, how, without getting so into the weeds, how do you go from, you know, penny games to playing on like the world series of poker, for example? Yeah, it was a long route. Um, A lot of, a lot of learning Um, at that time too, poker was so undeveloped, Uh, you know, it was led by people that were, you know, maybe not so data forward and they, they were making decisions based on hunches and, you know, smart people, but just didn't have the access to data. Around the time I got involved, uh, Poker Tracker got really big. And so you could really kind of break down, you know, hand ranges from different positions and look what's profitable, what's not. A lot of other calculators for for poker hands to kind of off the table do that work and analysis oh, wow. that really applied on the table to, to you know, success. Um, and so it was kind of just like looking at a, the game from a totally different perspective and the wave of players that were my age that kind of came up and, and um you know, grew through the ranks, I guess, at that period, um, it was heavily reliant on data. And so that pushed a lot of the older, older people that maybe, maybe weren't as data forward out. Um, you know, of course they couldn't last very long in that pool, but yeah, it was a long route, you know, it was just literally going from, you know, $10 buy-in games to $100 buy-in games to $500 buy-in games up all the way up to $100,000 buy-in games over, you know, over that 12 year period. Yeah. Just slowly but surely working your way up type of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Long road. Yeah, I was gonna say. So you, I mean, you were. That's wild. I guess I didn't even know that. So you were, you were kind of treating poker like a math problem more than you were like just playing, right? Like, is there, is there like a whole probability of 
I mean, I'm obviously talking out of turn. I don't know a ton about poker, but no, it's fine. Yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like there's like a whole, there was like a whole new way mathematically to, I guess, improve your odds. Yeah. I mean, you're basically assigning, and this actually translates a lot to, to startup life as well and decision-making. You're kind of looking at all these decisions and um, a lot of imperfect information that you have to assign value to and make a decision. You know, you can't, you can't pass the buck or, or decide yeah. to not make a decision. You have to make that choice and assign dollars to it. Right. And so it's, it's a lot of estimating. I like to say it's not, you can't break down and you know get a calculator and spend an hour on a, on a decision, you know, which you certainly could if you took it off the table, but you got to make that decision in like that 10 second window every time. And so the more work you do off the table, the more you apply it. Similar situations apply, you know, when you crunch something off the table, it'll apply to a, a bunch of different scenarios that you'll encounter on the table. Right. That's wild. Okay. Got it. Got it. No, that's super cool. Um, so you, you work your way up slowly, but surely, and then you end up making it on the tour. So what was that like? I mean, that's gotta be crazy. Just, you know, starting where you were, I mean, was that like, you're like at the time, was that like your North star, your like major career goal was to be a professional poker player or did it kind of just happen? It definitely just happened. So in school, you know, I was a good student. I, I studied science. I actually went to, um, I did some undergrad at Grand Valley State University in Michigan. Oh, and yeah. that was in two years in, and um, I mean, I was playing online poker in lecture. So I, I realized, you know, it was kind of a little bit, you know, poker was great. It was actually paying for my school at the time. Um, oh, that's awesome. But but at the same time, I realized, you know, I was doing well in school, but not great. Need them focus on poker. And also was doing okay at poker, but not great. Those focus on school. So yeah. I kind of had this, this crossroads where I had to decide and pick a path. And that's when I moved to Arizona and decided to, um, you know, stick with poker. Uh, full-time, you know, started an LLC and made it all legit with taxes oh, wow. and all that stuff. And yeah, and yeah I decided to take that road, um, which was still very early in the career. There's a lot that happened after that, of course. So how, like, what made you, first of all, what made you go to Arizona? And then secondly, like, what, uh, what kind of time were you putting in when you were like all in on poker? What was, what does that look like for someone who, you know, hasn't played? Yeah. So Arizona was super spontaneous. I actually was with my roommate at the time, Brandon, um, we had a layover. We were visiting LA. We were dating sisters at the time. The story's kind of crazy. Nice. <laughs> um, and we had a layover on the way back to Michigan in Arizona, and we decided to just stay. Like someone made a joke about, you know, just just we always wanted to move out west, so it wasn't as okay. spontaneous. But it was kind of like let's just let's just not go back. We can go apartment shopping tomorrow. And and the girls we were dating like worked at a at a diner, I think, in in Michigan. So they're like, yeah, we can do it. And it, it kind of paused us and we're like, well, we should actually do this. And we ended up moving. We couldn't take the luggage off the plane, but we ended up moving out a week later. Uh, so it was wow. a very, very spontaneous move, um, which again, crazy looking back on, but, but really shaped the, shaped the direction there. Um, and, and poker was, um, it made up probably 70 to 80 hours a week. Uh, it was a very intense, uh, very intense uh, schedule. Um, you know, there's always a game. And this is actually a kind of a stressor that I had during poker is you could always be playing, you know, you could always be doing something. And sure. I always thought, man, having a nine to five job, in, like it wasn't for me, you know, I, I like to, I like to poker and I like, I'm kind of always on, but okay. I always had these thoughts of like, I wonder what it's like to just turn off at the end of the day and like actually have free time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, well, yeah, cause so you could literally really, play all yeah. night. Right. I mean, it was more of a, exactly. like, charge and, at some point. Exactly. And, and there's always a game and especially online, you know, there's like multiple tables running and you could just go make money or, or, you know, play and there's positive expectation there if you're playing in good games and doing the work and so there was always this kind of pressure to to do more um, and there's no finish line either right so you're just like you're just winning and trying to build your bankroll and play in bigger games and and um 
that finish line ended up really coming for me later, which ultimately is what decided uh, why I decided to start out overnight and move away from poker. Got it. Okay. So you, you got to do it for a while. And then is there like, yeah, is there, I know there's like, obviously the world series of poker, which is like, is that like the biggest tournament of the year? Or is that like a, a circuit? I guess I don't really know how that works, but is there a few in-person tournaments then that are like the major ones that you, you would have attended? Yeah. So there's kind of two sides of the poker world. There's cash games and there's tournaments. So tournaments, you have a buy-in, like you'll see the main event of the world series. It's like a $10,000 buy-in. And there's all these people that play thousands of people. First place gets so many millions. Second place, you basically get tournament chips and it pays out in cash. The other side of the world is cash games where you sit down with actual cash and chips and you can play for as long as you want. You can leave whenever you want. And that was, that was the more, um, I guess, like technical side. There's a lot more variance in tournaments because it's kind of snapshots of, of outcomes over and over, um, oh, okay. where cash games is kind of like a day to day, a little more consistent, but um, you know, the, the better players usually were, were cash, high stakes cash games, cash game players. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. Well, cool. Well, thanks. Thanks for giving us a little background to that. When I saw you did that for that long, I was like, I got to ask Brian, at least a few questions about poker. That's a really interesting. And I'm sure there's probably things that have carried over. So then would love to know, you know, fast forward a little bit, going from professional poker player to entrepreneur in the oats space is quite the leap as well, I would say. So how did you would love, yeah, love to understand like how you got into this, like what's the beginning story of even thinking about starting an overnight oats company? Yeah. So I was, I was at this time I was playing in Las Vegas and Los Angeles and kind of living between both places. So I, I travel back and forth a lot and uh, trying to stay in shape as well. Like in poker, especially live poker, you're sitting at a table you know, 10 to 20 hours every session, um, oh, wow. just at a table, ordering your food to the table. It's not really helpful. It's not conducive for a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. And so I was trying to stick to the gym and, and you can't schedule, you know, trainer visits or anything. So your schedule is so unpredictable. So really self-directed and, and you got to stay on top of it. But um, food was difficult because, you know, I'd wake up, get called to a game and I had to run out the door and uh, I wouldn't have time to order food. I'd have to order at the casino and options, of course, are limited. Sure. And so um, I found overnight oats in you know 2000, late 2014, early 2015, and was making homemade versions. Um, you know, mason jar and spoon is kind of like the classic way to do it. Yeah. But I quickly opted for the shaker cup, uh, added protein to fit the you know fit the nutritional needs, and and a little more milk to make it um, you know spoon free essentially. Um, and so I was enjoying these and super, really relying on them for my for my sessions. Okay. And so at that time, also I I'm not. So you're just like shopper. making yeah. them on your own at this point, like kind of testing and learning because you you didn't like the food that you currently could find at a casino. Exactly. Yeah, and there were some shortcomings. Like I only had chocolate and vanilla protein, so I could only have like a chocolate flavor or you know or okay. vanilla with some sure. fruit or something. And so so very limited on flavor choices there, um, which which led to that interest to create it, but um mostly it was it was just the need to shop and prepare for all these ingredients like overnight oats is easy no doubt you know it's, it's great when you wake up and it's ready um, but there's a lot of measuring and preparing when you get complex with the recipes and so you know i'd run out of oats in vegas and i'd be at my place and i'd be like shit i gotta go to a drive through at starbucks again um, yeah. <laughs> or you know i need to catch something quick and and was looking for a prepackaged version in 2015 yeah got it okay and and so you know, early on, it still seems like for in the, in your story there. So you, you're you're testing things. You're you're needing something healthier while you're playing poker. What was the like? There must have been some sort of moment, or maybe it's like a time period. I don't know if you remember 
when you just were like, I'm tired of poker and I want to actually go all in? Do you like, do you remember kind of either a conversation you had with family or friends or like, what was it that kind of pushed you over the edge to jump in and start this business and leave poker? Yeah. So poker was, poker is interesting because like I mentioned, there's no real finish line. Um, I found myself playing in really the biggest game, biggest mixed game, mixed cash game in the US every day. Um, you know, I was playing with Doyle Brunson and and like, you know, Phil Ivey's in the game and all these celebrity poker players were like in the daily game. It was, it was a really cool experience. Yeah. Um, but also knew you couldn't really go higher than that. Like I had to be at the table to make money. Um, and I, I started to realize like, you know, it was always great for right now, but I was, I started thinking what happens when I'm 40 or 50 years old? Like, am I going to be, you know, waking up, going to this, you know, cash game, sitting at a table for 12 hours, you know, it didn't, it, it started to, it started to be clear that that wasn't the direction that I wanted for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, and so I started to think kind of outside, what, what would I do, uh, if it wasn't for poker, because that was really my identity at the time as well, sure. um, oh, I very much a poker player. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so, so I was looking for new opportunities around that time. Got it. So you, so you, I can, so you have like the itch to leave. Did you go, did you think that like the products you were messing around with at home could become something you could sell maybe explain to everyone kind of like, what was the spark? with that, whether it was sharing it with somebody or like, what was the thing that really, like, oh, I should sell this. Yeah. So our friends were in, in our close circle, were enjoying it as well. And it was, it was, it, you know, if you told me six years ago that I'd be running an oatmeal company right now, I think you'd be crazy. <laughs> I, I yeah. would have laid a big price against it. Um, but yeah, it kind of, it kind of came out, um, you know, a close friend of mine was telling me I should do something in food. I like to cook at the time. And I'm thinking like, what am I going to do? Start a restaurant? Like no shot. Yeah. Um, and so I just didn't really, it didn't really make sense. Um, but yeah, but yeah, it was, it was great. You know, what we were making, uh, like the recipes that our little friend group was making were, were pretty awesome. And I think somebody, um, you know, we, we were talking about search uh, results. At the time, there were hundreds of thousands of searches for overnight oats recipes or some variant. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and no product, no product sold. So started to realize like there's a lot of interest for this and and what seemed like a crazy idea at first and so unobtainable because you know i've, I've never done anything in e-commerce you know cpg food uh, anything sure. it's like how would you even go about making this product you know what, yeah. what's the first step um and it, that yeah quickly when we started to kind of dive in and, and think, think think these things through it became a little more doable got it that's really interesting too that you went to search that's like i feel like that's something that you don't hear probably a ton today that even, you know, five, six years ago, um, I feel like it's how everyone was like deciding like what to go into. Um, so that's really interesting because you, you saw that like people were searching for it, but no one was selling it. That's awesome. You found, you found uh, the demand with no supply. Um, I remember too, you, you guys were one of the first, I feel like you were one of the first, like any type of company that was based around oats that I remember getting like Instagram ads or like any ad online. Um, and your packaging is so clear and concise that it's like very easy to recognize. Um, do you, early on, did you, did you think that going down the route of selling the packs, um, and then like including the blender bottle and then you set it overnight, was that a better method than, you know, I guess selling it like pre-made like a, like mush, for example, or something like that, where it's like in a container already filled with the liquid as well. Was there like a bunch of thought behind that? Because I feel like that's a huge pivotal difference between a lot of brands today. 
Yeah, absolutely. There are there are kind of two segments there: the the ready to eat version um, and the other. And I'll be honest, at that time, with our limited resources and just total lack of experience with food, uh, starting a product like you know Mush or, or similar um, would be just unobtainable. You know, we we the only reason we were able to do this early on is you know with our our Google research and and, and some consultants yeah. that we brought it along the way on the compliance side. The dry products are super stable. You know. Um, very low risk, um, so you know, quality is easy to maintain, and so so that was easy to kind of make in our kitchen uh, and then replicate at scale at our facility. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, your your guys's product is also we can get into it. It just it seems perfect for e commerce, right? It's what we call high ring. It's lightweight. Uh, you're not shipping a ton of air, right? And um, it's just so simple to do as far as like you know mixing it yourself, leaving it in the fridge overnight. Um, what has e-commerce looked like for you guys? I mean, obviously I know I've been on your website is, you know, I, what I call like best in class, your website's legit. How has e-commerce kind of evolved over the last few years for you guys as, you, as you've scaled? Yeah, it's changed a lot, largely around Facebook. Um, you know, Facebook CPMs, when we started out, were so low relatively, um, it was just a different time. And so we got, I'd like to think like the last couple of years of the glory years of Facebook and okay. around the first two years of our launch. Um, and, you know, again, we didn't know what we were doing. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. I just was figuring it out. And the analytic, analytics piece was exciting to me. Like there was like this transition from poker into Facebook ads. And so I, I actually managed the Facebook ads um, up until the last year oh, um, wow. directly. Yeah, so that was always kind of the core of the business for, for a lot of this growth. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fun figuring it out. You know, I think uh, there's good support outside um, you know, even on Facebook now, there's a lot of kind of best practices, a lot better than what it was previously. Um, but it's gotten a lot more competitive, uh, a lot more, <laughs> many more companies spending huge budgets with no mindfulness of, of return on ad spend, for example. Um, and so, yes, the landscape's changed a bunch over that time. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure. Right. Especially from the big time when you started until, until now, it's probably night and day is, um, is D to C and Amazon still like major focuses for you guys, even this, you know, this far down the road from where you guys began? Yeah. So we actually just launched retail uh, 16 weeks ago nationwide with Wegmans. And so awesome. we just started retail. Uh, so it's still, you know, D to C is still 99% of our business. Um, we're excited to see that shift into retail as we grow through 2021 and beyond. Uh, but right now, yeah, very much uh, e-commerce is a focus. Amazon is less than a quarter of the business. We're, we're primarily .com and, and really prioritize a lot of the unique offerings we give to subscribers. Like, you know, we, we develop flavors. Um, every month we include subscribers in our flavor development. So oh, nice. each month they get a pack of an unreleased flavor and get to kind of share in that feedback. Essentially they become taste testers, which is a pretty cool offering. Oh, I uh, love that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes the dot-com much more favorable for us than Amazon just because of the relationship with those customers. Yeah. It's kind of hard to put a dollar value on, on the value you can get from your D to C customer base. That's really smart. I mean, I know um, even at RX, we, we kicked around doing something like that, but never really got it off the ground the same way. Um, yeah. What kind of feedback do you guys get? I feel like people probably love being a part of, you know, your like tribe as what as something I always say um, just like, you know, your core following that, is a part of new products. That's an awesome idea. Yeah, they love it. <clears throat> it's definitely a, a really, it's a hit for sure. We launched it like six months ago um, and we've seen our subscription metrics have just went through the roof, both on a you know first time uh, subscription decision for a first purchase and down to, all the way to churn. 
um, it's everything has been kind of kind of great since we launched this program. But yeah, the feedback's huge. You know, they they have that emotional connection. When we launch a flavor and we you know tweak mint up twenty five percent because of their feedback, they feel like they weighed in, and they have honestly. We we really do take that heavily into account when we when we iterate, and we also get to make data driven decisions for future flavor launches because we have a whole you know stable of products with um, like kind of the equivalent of an MPS like yeah. standardized score, and and we get to you know make good decisions for launch. Yeah, no, I mean, you think about like most companies, how they sit in their, uh, their R&D groups and come out with a bunch of things. And then once it's already out and produced, they hope it works. And then the ones that don't work well, they end up taking back off the shelf. So that's really powerful and a really smart move, honestly, to uh, you kind of like test and learn and get data before maybe you do a full-blown launch. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really our, our goal across the whole business is to lift that, lift that curtain and really include customers at an earlier stage than, than would typically be found with food. Um, I don't know if we manufacture and fulfill our own product as well. Oh, wow. um, and nice. so, so we do, we're going to be doing a lot more content moving forward. Um, you know, the people process centric content rather than so much focused on product. And we've, so you, we've seen you guys are results. almost like completely not vertically integrated all the way, but like pretty much besides your like supply. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as wow. soon as we close the deal on this oat farm, we'll be good to go. Oh, wow. That's that's big news. There we go. That's exciting. Wow. That's no, that's really cool. I've only had a couple companies on here um, that do that. And I honestly, I didn't realize, I didn't realize the companies that did, I guess the, the food companies I've worked for have always, you know, we've had co-man. So what is maybe, I think it'd be interesting to go into this. What, what is like, what would you say from your experience has been like the biggest benefit and maybe the biggest challenge of like producing your own products? Yeah, um, I think the answer to both of those is that we control our own destiny. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. like, um, you know, but no, the, benef the benefits are across the board are huge. Um, you know, we have we have all the all the employees, all the teammates that work on the line production fulfillment lines, um, you know, ship supervisors, manufacturer managers, uh, they're all part of the team. So they're all equity incentivized. We give options to everybody um, at every position in the company. And so oh, wow. we, we get to have that. It, the culture is just great. You know, everybody loves it. Um, we have a little over 60 employees now. And um, yeah, so the, the team is just is just all in. Um, and, you know, quality is really high. We, we have those relationships with farms and manufacturers. So our quality program, of course, we're, we're you know, testing everything, organoleptic test, taste, touch, you know, smell, all that stuff. Um, so, so we really get a control over that rather than just from the co-man getting a getting some finished goods that, that come out and it tastes a little off. And we're like, you know what, what's wrong with this? Um, right. I've heard a million and one horror stories from friends that, that, that work with manufacturers. It's just later in the process where they find the issues, but the issues still happen. And so, Definitely. so we really get to control that. And, and also like things like COVID we were, we were really minimally impacted just because we have those relationships with the manufacturers and the farms. And, and we were able to reach out to all of the, all the points of contact and just kind of gauge the risk and, and order accordingly uh, based on that risk. Um, so those are the benefits, uh, and, and then some cost of goods, of course, are, are great. Uh, labor costs are really low relatively. Um, but the, the downsides, um, you know, building it from the ground up with little to no experience in food. Um, yeah. it, it was, it was certainly a rough, you know, first couple of years, uh, a lot of trial and error. Uh, we've always, we've always done a great job with quality, of course. Um, but when it comes to, um, you know, SOPs not being dialed, you know, of course that's all, that's all on you. And so we probably learned a lot of mistakes the hard way that, you know, a manufacturer would have, would have, you know, shortcut if we had worked with someone else. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense from a COVID lens. Um, 
has has i mean it's great that you were able to like kind of control some of what you could control and no one can control all of it but has has this time period over the last year or so i almost feel like your brand i would hope maybe has benefited a little bit with a combination of i would think oats at home is a is a great healthy option and then number two obviously you guys being so heavy e-commerce is is fantastic is that true have you guys have you guys actually weathered the storm pretty well so we did not, we, we were uniquely positioned to not benefit from COVID. Um, 40% of our customers ate it on a commute. And so that uh, use case was essentially wiped from, you know, wiped from the existence for 2020. Yeah. Um, so we, we had a great start to the year. Um, Q2, Q3 was really rough. We had to really step back, um, reimagine how, you know, how we, how we view the product, how customers view the product. Um, I think we made the best of it. We certainly, you know, we lifted revenue still from 19 to 20. Uh, didn't quite hit projection due to COVID and due to that pulled back ad spend. But uh, we really focused on, you know, premium ingredients, all the other benefits, premium ingredients, um, and 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 really kind of explaining that position of the company and that relationship with the customer, like the subscriber exclusive program with the flavors and development um, that got launched through that time. And so that's a long lasting benefit. Definitely a huge silver lining there. Uh, when we when we shifted that focus and so yeah i mean overall um you know a lot of learnings and we we made it through and and came out much stronger on the other side uh, but it was definitely a, a tough couple quarters yeah no oh, that make, makes a lot of sense i know we were on the same in the same boat people aren't necessarily eating protein bars the same way they used to going from you know work to the gym um that's tough. So did you guys make, did you guys even change kind of like the way you were marketing the product during that time um, from on the go to something more at home at all? Yeah, very much so. And that, that's really, that was kind of the biggest unlock. A lot of our messaging was like, you know, save 20 minutes in the morning because you can grab and go. And a lot of the, the video was people in, in cars on a commute, you know, just, just a lot of use cases that just didn't really hit with consumers. Um, people were still looking to stock up and online shop and not go into store, but, but, not so much to save time. I mean, I'd imagine a lot of people were answering their first calls in their underwear at 9am, yeah. you know, and right. just, just in no, in no rush at all, just cooking the eggs that, that someone in the family, you know, doomsday prepped for and bought yeah. $300 at Costco. So it was just like a totally different world. Um, and so, yeah, so we adjusted well, and I think the novelty is worn off a bit, you know, yeah. I think in the beginning people were taking advantage with the families and, and saying, you know, Hey, let's spend time, let's spend quality time. Let's, let's cook more. Let's, but you know, everyone's still kind of got their life and, and dishes suck. So yeah. I think that, you know, after, after a few months of that, you know, people get back to normal, but um, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that makes a ton of sense. I would agree. I feel like people are slowly, but surely, even if life hasn't fully gone back to what it was before, at least a lot of the habits are trying to, you know, go back to that way. Um, another thing I wanted to go back and ask you, you mentioned your team is, is just over 60 people. That's phenomenal. And obviously growing like crazy. What has it been like? I mean, I, I think back to you as I'm thinking through your story, going from college to world series of poker and, and playing on professional poker. Um, that's definitely a, you know, that's something where it's like just you and you're focused on, on you and, and it's like your own, you know, LLC and your own thing. Um, what's it been like, you know, like growing this team that seems like something that you probably had, didn't have a ton of experience in before. I don't know if there's any lessons learned or, or major hurdles you've learned with trying to like hire people and manage teams um, that you could share with the audience. Yeah, that's by far been the toughest part. There are a lot of, a lot of crossovers from poker and like, you know, risk analysis, decision-making, um, kind of just, you know, trusting intuition and all that. 
Um, but with the team building, that's something that poker, you know, in, in its siloed way, doesn't teach you in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, so, sure. <laughs> so it was, and also, also not having a network uh, in this space, it was, it was just really tough learning it from the ground up. You know, we had, we certainly had some people, some friends that, you know, had done, had success before, in and around the space, but, but nobody really close to us that we could, you know, we could learn from. So it was a lot of trial and error. I'd say from the team side, um, initially we looked. You know, the only people in my network were poker players and friends. And so naturally, we hi I hired a lot of poker players and friends to start. Oh, there you go. Um, fun. And so, you know, good and bad for sure. I mean, a lot of lessons learned. You know, we've had, um, I'll say I probably hired like eight or nine good friends. Maybe, you know, a few are left um, at, the, at the company. And, okay. and those, yeah. those, those friends are thriving and, and, you know, great, you know, doing great for the company and, and you know, building awesome careers and, and really doing it. You know, it's, it's exciting to have that that work out, but it, it's really tough when it doesn't work out, you know, as you can imagine. Yeah, um, no. and, it, and it certainly often doesn't. Sure. Okay. So maybe, yeah, just the whole concept of, of hiring friends or people you're close to is tough. Yeah. I mean, like what was, you don't have to give anything specific, but like, what's, what is it? What's the toughest thing? Is it just like giving feedback and like, you know, having that like friend conversation versus I'm your boss conversation type of thing? Yeah, it's naturally awkward, right? I mean, it's, it's a, you're kind of inserting and we don't, you know, we don't like, I know it's overnight. It's always, you know, it's never eyes. Um, so we're very much a team and, and um, the, the, the biggest issue is people, people naturally kind of mis, misjudge their, their contribution. They, they look, they look at things, you know, they might look at things differently. Uh, we under communicated in the beginning. Uh, I think we, or I, I under communicated, um, you know, the first couple of years, what that looked like, we should have had more things on paper, better, you know, operating agreements, for example, yeah. uh, stuff like that, where we get, we get on the same page, we understand what it takes to win, you know, what we're willing to contribute to make it win, um, because everybody has different levels there. Uh, and, and, and when, when push comes to shove, it, it gets, it gets aired out and then there's always disagreements. Right. Okay. Yeah. That totally makes sense. That's a tough one. Yeah. I feel like anytime you work with friends, that's, I've done that before. And it, it is, it's like, yeah. you, there's like unforeseen things that just crisscross with trying to get work done, which is, is always tough. Um, obviously, I mean, you guys have been in business for a few years now and in COVID might be your answer here, but uh, what has been, if you think back, like I know when I, what, during my time at RX, I can like think back to each year and there's like some major hurdle that came up for the team. What has been, you know, one of the biggest or the most major hurdle for oats overnight since you started it um, that you guys kind of came together and overcame and, and got better from it. Yeah. So I, COVID is a huge one, of course. I'll try to not use that as a cop out. <laughs> you get what, a little more interesting. <laughs> That's okay. Um, if it is, I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Right? You know, one, one big hurdle um, that, that we, so we've done a lot of iteration around, um, around formula, like flavor fatigue, super fascinated with how, things like monk fruit versus real sugar, uh, you know, process in the brain is like craveable versus satiating. And so, so we do a lot of work. We do all the formula, develop, formula development in-house. And so we do a lot of work here, use cohort analysis to see, you know, what changes are hitting um, month over month. Um, we segment by male, female now. Uh, so, so one of the biggest um, issues, we noticed our LTV was like falling off a cliff um, a, a couple of years back. And okay. it was, it was crazy. We, we didn't know why. Um, and it's, it's almost embarrassing to say that, but you know, we, we noticed that, and of course you can justify, 
you know, three months out, six months out is maybe like they're not fully mature yet, or, you know, there's differences in, in the cadence of eating it. And there's the LTV is a, a silly thing where you can, you know, you can make excuses when you're looking for the number. Um, sure. And, and we right. realized it wasn't, it wasn't maturing at the same rate. And, you know, we hadn't done a lot of changes um, outside of scale. And so what we noticed, what we ended up deciding was it, the hunch was that, um, you know, maybe, maybe this price point, we, we, we've toyed with a lot of different potentials there, but we ultimately found out the price point of the product, the entry point was too low. Um, so we had an $18 starter pack. We dropped it to 15, uh, to get more scale and more reach. Um, and then, you know, converted a bunch more people at, you know, a 12 and 24 pack. And so this structure worked with us for the first couple of years. Um, and then as we were scaling, we realized that, you know, LTV was just dropping. So first thing we realized, uh, women LTV was half that of men. Um, and so that was, that was a really interesting find. Um, also we, we, we leaned on surveys, a lot of, you know, a lot of surveys with customers post-purchase is a great place to do it because we get like a 60% response rate oh, wow. uh, from customers. So that's a nice little, nice little tip. Um, yeah, we noticed that, uh, that there was a lot of speculative buying at that lower price point. And so customers that were purchasing, while it looked good from like a CPA perspective, um, they weren't sticking around. They were just buying, they might've made overnight oats at home and they were curious what this one tasted like just for comparison, but we're really looking to shift their buying habits. Um, so what we did is we removed the starter pack altogether. Um, we started at an eight pack, so that, that up first time AOV by, by, by quite a lot, like 50%. Um, and we, we noticed that, you know, we were nervous, of course, because we had been doing this price structure for so long. We thought our customers would hate us. Uh, we, we had okay, all the reasons yeah. not to do it. And then, you know, ultimately just pulled the trigger uh, after after getting enough data uh, to make the decision. And, and yeah, it worked well. I mean, LTVs have doubled since then. Um, it, it's it, it's been great. You know, we, we've we've since changed some nutritional uh, macro breakdown to, to make it a little more appealing to females, like lower protein protein slightly. Um, and yeah, so, so we've made some, made some changes that, that have really, really helped. And, you know, we still review historicals, um, you know, quite frequently. And we, we look at that time, it's such a stark difference in, in the, in the, um, you know, in the graph of, of LTV over time. And, and we look at that time as, and just realize like we wouldn't have made it if we didn't solve for that problem. Like there's just no way we would have, we would have, uh, been in business now. And so, so that's a, that's a really, really big one. Yeah, no, I bet. I mean, that's, it sounds like, um, just like how do I explain this it's 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 so important when you have like that much data for d to c to constantly be iterating like I think and I know in my experience and from talking to a lot of people in the industry like sometimes things are moving so fast something is as simple as going back and making sure you're understanding your LTV even um, could be um, something that's overlooked so that's really interesting and it's, it's great that you guys are able to tweak it sounds also like potentially doing the vertical integration has helped you guys, you know, you're closer to the R and D. I mean, do you personally, are you, are you very involved in R and D even today? Like, are you still coming up with ingredients and coming up with recipes and everything? So I'm still very involved um, in like a check-in sense. Um, I'm no longer ideating the flavors directly. We just hired a head of product development a few months back. Okay. Uh, but before that time, it was, it was truly just, you know, what flavors do we want to make? Let's try it out. You know, sure, yeah. caffeinated flavors, put some coffee in there, like, you know, black tea. Um, so it was fun. And it's still probably, I think one of my favorite parts of the business. Um, and, you know, now we, we lean so heavily on customer feedback that the flavors almost make themselves um, not from like a formula perspective, of course, but you know, our lab internal lab does that really well. Um, but as far as like game planning, the next 12 flavors for the, the flavors and development, 
that we share with subscribers. You know, that list is heavily voted on in our in our private Facebook group. <laughs> Got it. Oh, nice. Private Facebook group. Love it. How many flavors do you have today? Uh, we have about 12 active on the site, okay. um, but we, we have like another six or seven that we've developed in this program uh, that are kind of slated for a launch or, or not. Um, okay. And we just released three new products as well for retail. Um, they're, it's like a bottled oatmeal that has like a powdered oat milk in it. So oh. um, yeah, so it's a just add water formula. It removes the friction of like the shaker cup and the need to buy milk. Um, and it's an all in one bottled oatmeal. So it's pretty exciting. Oh, that's huge. I didn't know that. So essentially you just only add water. That's it. Nothing else. And it's good. Yeah, there's exactly. It's a shrink sleeve um, film. So there's like a clear window for a fill line. You just fill it up with water in your fridge tap, shake it up, refrigerate, and you get an oatmeal grab and go in the morning and um, 15 grams of protein and all that good stuff. Wow. Oh, that's really cool. Cause that's, I feel like, I mean, that's gotta be the biggest issue with retail is, is shipping ready to eat oats. I mean, I think that sounds like a nightmare. So Sounds like you guys came up with another creative way to kind of bypass um, having it ready to go. Because I mean, I I don't know personally, and I, you might, you, I'm sure you've done research on this more than anyone. I, I I don't know, I don't know how many instances I like ha- I need my oats ready to go. Like I think more so than anything, it's nice in the in the methods that you guys use with your products is like when you know you're gonna want it in the morning. Yeah, you just set it up quick and let it sit overnight, and then in the morning it's ready to go. I don't know how often I would really need it ready to go on a, on a turn of a dime, but um, from a logistical standpoint, I'm sure for you guys, it's a huge, it's less of a headache than it would be if you had the water in there or milk or whatever it is you're using. Yeah. And there's some benefits from like a grab and go, like you introduce different usage occasions, right? Like you can use it as a snack and, you know, maybe buy it in C store, like if you're hungry and you can get it on a road trip or, you know, a lot of different, sure. lift, different uses that open up. But for us, um, you know, the, the shelf life and, and the, you know, ease and logistics far outweighs the, the upside of those added uses occasions. Right. Yeah, no, I, that, that's definitely true. What is, um, so it sounds like, obviously that's a huge innovation. Is there anything else that, I mean, if you don't want to share, you definitely don't have to, is there any other like teasers or other areas that the company wants to go into, or are you see as, as huge opportunities for you guys in the next coming couple of years? Yeah. So we, we acquired oats.com. Um, oh, wow, really? I didn't know so, that. Yeah. So real excited about that. And really kind of looking to build this, um, you know, this, this more function forward oat platform, I guess, like similar to a Quaker, but, but much more new age and, and I guess relevant yeah, <laughs> with, with sure. a little more leaning toward innovation. So yeah, we have quite a, I'll say we have a lot of products in the pipeline. We're actually building a, building a lab internally. And it's going to be very Instagrammable at our oh, facility, um, more, more visitor friendly. Um, and so we're really focusing on innovation through 2021. This fundraiser is, is going to, is going to help support that a lot. Um, so we have a lot of options. I'll say we, we've, we've made everything from other powdered alternatives to, to ready to eat type products that would compete with those products discussed before. Um, a lot, lot of options. We're, we're still kind of deciding candidly about, you know, what direction uh, makes the most sense, uh, you know, some or all of them. Uh, but right now we see a lot of space in the, in the, the overnight oats, specifically the spoon free overnight oats. You know, we plan to keep innovating in that specifically for the next year or so. Got it. Love that. Um, so you're someone, you know, I, I've had a lot of people on here that we've, we talked about before we got going. Um, I love your part of the story where it seems like you kind of just dove in and you kind of just figured it out. Do you have any suggestions for people who, you know, maybe have an idea they're tinkering with and they're debating whether they want to go all in on, on their idea? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the, you know, 
minimum viable product always. Um, getting getting your feedback in market is always number one. Um, talking to friends, family members, like you're going to get certain people that cheer you on, certain people that you know wish they could have done something in their 20s or 30s, and so they have this this negativity around it. Um, you know, there, there's a whole range of that, and so being able to decipher what's what it helps that a lot. I think I was I was able to kind of see through some of these things early on and not be too heavily swayed by the detractors. Uh, because there, there will, they will be there. Um, yeah. But yeah, just, just like get it out there, you know, like whether it's like going on the street and handing out packs and looking for feedback or, you know, doing samplings and, you know, just, just really getting it out there and not, don't be shy about it. I think a lot of people get really romantic about, about their product, their idea, they want it to be perfect. Um, and I think that's a massive mistake uh, because in that year that you spent fine tuning it, you could have, you could be fine tuning in the totally wrong direction. And, right. you know, yeah. just from like the first sampling event from customers, they'll say something you didn't even think about and now your product's better and you can spend that entire year, um, you know, shaping it in a direction that actually makes sense. So, so really soliciting that feedback from anywhere you can get and, and embracing the negative feedback, um, looking to improve is, is huge. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Do you think now that you've done it, the D to C route and really like blown up e-commerce first and foremost, and really created like a cult following that way? Was that, is that a big suggestion for you to others, um, no matter what the food category is they're going into? Do you think that's, in your opinion, kind of the best way to bring a product to market? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, D2C is expensive now, like ad spend isn't cheap. And so you got to really, if you're, if you are game planning a launch, like make sure you bake in a lot, you know, for, for Facebook and, and similar um, I think a lot of people I've seen at that stage underestimate how much they're, they're going to need to spend just to get people to go to the site and buy the product uh, because they won't be they won't be dialed up front. <laughs> it's a lot of learnings that are required. But but yeah, I mean, I think um, and I'm new to retail, right? Like this is, yeah. you know, we're still figuring this out, too. Um, we just hired a director of sales. It's awesome. Um, so he's helping. And, and we've awesome. had some some friends in this, you know, in this space that have given great advice, but still very much figuring it out. Uh, but but from what I see, it seems like the feedback is very slow and and almost non-existent. So you don't have a communication with customers. You just, right. you know, six months later, your reorder, or your your numbers fall. You might assume that people aren't reordering that much, but that's a pretty shitty way to find out. Yeah, uh, right. people aren't liking your product. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of of direct direct, direct consumer first. Um, it's just expensive. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it is wild, isn't it? Once you get into retail, it's like all of a sudden you're just waiting for another PO, and you don't have it unless you have like a Nielsen or anything where you can you can see scans at least. Um, Totally different game. You know, I, I came from e-commerce and then at, so at my time at RX, I've, I've also spent a lot of time on the retail side and it's just, I mean, it's night and day, different ways to get into people's pantries, I guess you could say. Um, for, for you, um, you know, you're, this brand, I, in my opinion, is one of those ones that um, it stands out already. You guys have like killed it online, especially on like Facebook, Instagram, all the advertisements. It's very, um, it stands out. Um, you are getting into retail today. Um, what, when your time at Oats Overnight is over, whenever that is in the future, what do you want to be remembered for? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think build, rebuilding the relationship with, or building a relationship with customers in a different way. Um, I, think, I think there's going to be a lot of transparency that we're introducing into the manufacturing process uh, that, you know, frankly, other companies won't be able to replicate because they're doing it at commands that, 
you know, certainly won't be letting cameras into their into their. Experience. Oh yeah, love that. Um, so so we're going to be doing things in a in a bit a bit of a different way, and and I really think it's going to stick. I think it's going to be pretty powerful uh, what we introduce, and and I'm, I'm hoping right. Like yeah. we, we've been testing it at small scale uh, with our our tribe, uh, but we're excited to kind of roll it out to the rest of the world, and um, yeah, I think that's that's number one for us. Love that. Yeah, anything with transparency, I think you know. The more transparent brands can be, the the more the consumer wins, which then in turn helps you. So that's awesome. Um, the last few questions I always love to ask. Um, no, this one, I always leave with book, but it could be book, podcast, whatever your source of knowledge is that you want to share. Um, if you had one you know, book to recommend to the audience, what would it be? Yeah, I think one book, there's a lot of good books, but the one that I read most recently that's helped me a ton uh, with having very little you know, traditional corporate experience, especially around hiring, was who. Um, it's a it's a really helpful book that kind of frames how how you can optimize your hiring process and get better results. So that was a very very impactful book. Love it. Who? Okay, got it. Love that. Um, what do you use um, to plan? You know, goals your week. And then honestly, like just to get shit done on a daily basis, is it, you know, are you a pen and paper kind of guy? Are you into apps? Like what is your, your tools and your resources that you use to get shit done? Yeah. So I have ADD, so I'm obsessed with to-do lists. I I just live off lists. Um, And so (laughs) definitely um, I I, I used to do post-it notes, post-it notes got too crazy, Um, you know, (laughs) notes in the phone and I've upgraded recently to Asana Well, about a year and a half ago. Um, Asana has been really helpful. Um, the calendar view makes it really nice to kind of drag and drop schedules. I can kind of um, time block my days to make sure I'm getting the most productive stuff done. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a pretty popular project management tool, Asana. I'm sure Asana. Most people will be yeah, familiar yeah. with that. Is that pretty helpful with, I'm assuming you guys are pretty much all remote besides your like production facility right now. Is that, has that been helpful in this like COVID light, I guess, more than anything? Yeah, we live on Slack and Asana, even at the facility. And so Asana is more, yeah, project management. You can assign tasks, follow up. Um, it's, it's been really helpful in, in coordinating team projects. Like our marketing department lives there and there's constantly, you know, projects going through the funnel. Got it. Love that. Yeah. Okay. Um, are you still playing poker at all? Do you ever have, do you even have time? Very rarely. Um, I, I played, you know, before COVID, I was going out to the, got out to Vegas for the World Series um, just for, you know, a couple of tournaments each summer. Uh, but you know, haven't been able to do that, of course. But yeah, no poker for me. Uh, unfortunately, I'm like cash broke now, and so it makes poker very difficult. <laughs> Got <laughs> it. Difficult oh yeah. To do. Sure. It's, it's a different world. Yeah. <laughs> I put it all into oats. Yeah. <laughs> you can't you can't give oats as a uh, as an entry fee? Probably they probably won't taste <laughs> <Exactly>. that. <laughs> if only. Um, the really the last question, and then we can wrap it up. Uh, and this is the most important is, uh, how can people follow along with you, Brian? And then how can people learn more about the brand and obviously try oats overnight? Yeah. So, um, you can check us out at oatsovernight.com and we are oats overnight on Amazon as well at oats overnight on IG, uh, pretty easy stuff there. Um, just launched Legman's, like I mentioned nationwide, we're in about 300 total doors now. Um, in addition to the 104 Wegmans. Um, yeah. And, you know, we're going to be launching new, new chance, new chains through 2021 and 2022. So I'm excited to see that take off. Fantastic. Well, I'll definitely keep an eye out and share that when that happens. Um, but in the thank meantime, you. Brian, thank you so much for the time today. It was great to get to know you a little bit and get to know the brand a little more. And um, hopefully we'll get some people trying oats overnight. 
Yeah, definitely appreciate the time. Thanks so much. This was fun. Yeah, appreciate it, Brian. Awesome. We'll have a good one and we'll talk soon. Stay in touch. Great. See ya. See ya.